morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and again, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer. Morning. And Pastor John Schubert in the room. Good to see you guys. It's good to see you too. Again. Yeah. John, what do you think? About what? Is All it, of it. Just any of it. It's great to be here. <laughs> I can't think of even a better place to be. Wow, that's pretty. And good. I'm that's working profound. on my lying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not lying. Yes, whatever one's right. <laughs> profound uh, stuff. Fear of man. Um, Thoughts wait, of no, John Schubert. <laughs> Gonna start recording that stuff. Are we? Wait, are we recording right now? Well, we are now. We are. We're in it. This is the way. This is the way. We are moving from. The doctrine of salvation in our statement of faith to the doctrine of the church, mm. also known as ecclesiology. How about that? Wow. I know big words. <laughs> ecclesiology. Four years paid off. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you'll be paying off four years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, we are talking about the church. Uh, John, and I want to ask you a specific question because you've mentioned this a few times in your sermons. Uh, over the last few years, where you talk about the the church is a gift from the Father to the Son. Mm-hmm. Explain explain that. Well, a better way to, well, a, a good way to start the conversation about that is to think of the church as the bride of Christ, right? Yeah. And, and all that is connected to bride getting in Scripture. And so... Uh, you think of it that way. The bride of Christ is a group of people that were chosen before time by the Father, Ephesians 1, um, for the Son, uh, that are to be given to the Son in time, um, and then to live with the Son as his bride throughout all eternity. Okay, that's, that's the starting place. And so when you think about, when you think about that, the, the group of believers throughout all time... Uh, I want you to I want you to listen to Titus chapter one verses one and two. It says Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So God was making promises before one human was ever born about a group of people who would find their way to eternity with Christ. All right? He was making promises. And I ask people when I share this information with them, who was God promising? Who was, who was he making promises to? It wasn't us. We weren't alive. He was promising his son that he would secure a gift, a bride, for him throughout eternity. And then along comes creation of mankind, uh, the establishment of culture, um, practices. Many of those practices, God ordained practices in the people of God, Israel. Mm-hmm. And it is in those settings that you see marriage take shape and the, uh, the, the practices of marriage, including, like I said earlier, bride getting. Um, and you realize after reading the New Testament that those who are who are elect unto salvation 
were given by the Father to the Son. This particularly comes out very clearly in the book of John. It's one of the recurring themes there. We see in John 6, Jesus referring to this repeatedly. He says, for example, in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that was given to me, but will raise it up on the last day. And then he says more of the same in the rest of 6, and then again in 10, and then in 17. He refers to it a couple times about the gift that God the Father gave him, and the gift being his people, mm-hmm. the chosen, the, the elect. And so um, the way I describe it, and I just did so on Saturday with the, the uh, basics class, when you're trying to think about, and, and there's, there's all sorts of theological places to, dis, to talk about this, but one of them is uh, how the people of God are to think about themselves, you know, instead of thinking themselves as worthless, you know, and, you know, lucky or whatever, you know, however, whatever comes to your mind when you think of a Christian or you think of yourself as a Christian, uh, a lot of times you, you still struggle with esteem issues, sure. value issues. Sure. Um, even though you know God loves you, the Bible says that, even though you know God forgave your sins and all you know, has a place for you in heaven, yeah, 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 but I'm worthless, I'm, I'm no good, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I try to tell people, listen, you are God's best attempt at a love gift. In eternity past, that I just read for you from Titus, God desired to demonstrate, to show, to communicate his love for his Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father wanted to communicate to God the Son the depth of his, of his infinite eternal love. Mm-hmm. And the, what he chose to do so was to promise him a group of people who would be his bride, who would be living with him throughout eternity, worshiping and praising him forever and ever. Mm-hmm. That's a love gift. Mm-hmm. We're that love gift. <laughs> we are God's best attempt to demonstrate the love of the Father for the Son. And an application of this would be like if I were to say, hey, Sherry, um, here's a love gift from me to you. It's a half-used bottle of perfume. I found it down at the Goodwill, and it was, you know, two bucks. And I know that you like perfume. I I hope you like this smell, this scent, whatever. (laughs) And here it is, half-used. She would not appreciate that. If you know my wife, you would know that. Uh, and that's, you know, saying something about someone who loves goodwill. Yes, she loves she loves <laughs> that stuff, but not that stuff. And it it would not communicate the depth of my love for my wife, not just because of my wife's tastes, not because just because of the because it it doesn't represent my love for her. Mm-hmm. If if I know my wife well enough to know that that wouldn't do it, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Macy's and I'm going to buy a new bottle of perfume and give it to her to demonstrate my love for her. And so in, in parallel to how God did this, he's not getting mediocre gifts for the son. Mm -hmm. He's not getting used up gifts Mm -hmm. for the son or on sale gifts for the son. He's doing his best to present the depth of his eternal, infinite love to his son by choosing for himself or choosing for his son a group of people called the church. Mm. 
to be given to the son. Hmm. And it's hmm. a beautiful way to see the value of the believer and the depth of God's love for his son, mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the depth of the son's love for the church, right? Oh, yeah, because he had to actually secure that gift. Yeah. That's some, that's where the, the illustration breaks down. Sherry doesn't have to go out and mow the lawn yeah. to get my gift. Right, right. <laughs> I hit <Yeah>. something <laughs> in the grass. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, what was that? It looked like it used to be a bottle of perfume. <laughs> Shattered glass, all right. It was full, really, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the the son the son now is given the the divine responsibility to to die for his own, yeah. to pay the price, the bride price, yeah. which is also part of the cultural picture seen in the Old Testament. Yeah, and that desire for the church continues on, right? So thinking about thinking about his prayer in John seventeen. He says in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also, speaking of the church, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Right? So there's he's, that desire for the church is still there even in heaven. Oh, yeah. It's not, a, just a, uh, it's not just a one-time event from Christ's perspective at all. Uh, he continues to minister to us through his word, through his spirit, on in and through eternity. Yeah. yeah. And, and the verse that you just read is a, is a good support for that. It's, his love for us is, is as intense now as it was on the moment on Calvary when he died for us. Yeah. 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 So, Rick, since you haven't said anything uh, since the beginning of the podcast... Um, I said, "This is the way." This is the way. In today's pop evangelicalism, mm-hmm. uh, people view the church as kind of just an addition to their life, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's very selfish. They uh, may have a distorted view of what the church looks like, what it means, and so people will say, "Well, I don't really need the church; I just need Jesus." Yeah. Um, how would you? How would you go about? explaining how that is a serious error in thinking about the church. After you stop laughing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you sad little. No, um, something I tell every single couple that I premarital counsel as they're looking at, you know, this new family that they're forming and which is going to be taking up this incredible amount of their attention is um, every family without the local church is a broken family. Hmm no matter how seemingly intact they are. And that's, you know, and that goes for every individual who's a believer. Um, and the reason we can say that with confidence is because um, every single command in the New Testament to love one another and to all the other one another's, there's more than 30 of them, um, they, they're presupposing uh, an actual commitment to a particular local church. Um, the because, plurality, the verb used is plural. Yes, you know, <laughs> right. These these New Testament letters that every Christian, including the ones who go off by themselves and say, "I don't need the church," those letters that they're reading and getting their Christian understanding from are all plural letters. They're they're written to local church mm-hmm. communities. When it says "you," it's not singular. Yeah, this command isn't for you personally, Jeremy. It's for your church. Yeah. Right. That's the idea in Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're commanded, Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 very clearly says, don't give up meeting together. That's the practice of some. Some have given up meeting together, but that is not 
the way that Christ has yeah. commanded his people to live because, and here's the theological reality, go back to our look at the our union with Christ that we talked about in salvation. All the blessings of Jesus come to us through our union with, with Christ that happens um, when he when we are joined to him by faith. Um, now, if we're, we have union with Christ, who is the head of the body, which is the church, Colossians 1, mm-hmm. you know, in Ephesians, um, then we also have union with his body, mm-hmm. right? Because we can't have union with a head severed from the body. Mm-hmm. Number one, that's just weird. <laughs> and number two, that's not how the New Testament talks about it. Yeah. And so the theological reality is we have as much union with the church as we do with Jesus. To act like we don't is to simply be moving forward with a fiction. Hmm. That's not even, it's not possible. It's flagrant disobedience, and anybody who persists in it is living in sin. Hmm. And that's just the plain New Testament fact. So so would, would we say that, would we question somebody's faith if, if they're not a part of the local church? Yes. And I don't mean, I'm not saying we're making, we're passing a judgment. Sure. You asked if we're questioning their faith. I, I would, I would interpret that to mean the depth of their faith. Okay. First of all, sure. It, it may end up, you know, questioning the reality of their faith. But I would start with the depth. Do, how much do you really understand about the scriptures? Yeah. <laughs> about the gospel, about the church. If you think that you can exist independently of the church as a Christian, you do not understand the gospel. Yeah, you you are united with Christ, so you're united with Christ's people. That's that's an inherent reality yeah. of being in Christ, right? And so, and and it the author of Hebrews, Rick, you you referred to chapter ten, chapter three says something else that that cements this in my mind. He says, "Take care, brothers, lest any of you be, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, uh, leading you to fall away from the living God." And then he says in the verse thirteen, "But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." So there's, there is a potential of being separate from the body of Christ and falling away from God. Mm-hmm. In, in the mind of the author of Hebrews, that's a real danger. Mm-hmm. He's saying, to answer your question further, that is the assumption. (laughs) If you're not in the body, exhorting other believers daily to avoid hardening of the heart, hardening of the spiritual arteries, then people can legitimately wonder whether or not you've walked away from the living God. It's plain as day in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews isn't really where we go for our ecclesiology. You know, that's those are just bonuses. That's icing yeah. on the New Testament doctrine of ecclesiology. I mean, it's it's pretty clear. In the Apostle John, um, he talks about our spiritual DNA, as it were, um, throughout his first letter. Um, and in fact, one way to understand the book of First John is to understand it as a series of um, tests of authentic faith. And in there, he talks. He basically makes the point that it's it is the impetus of true faith mm-hmm. to be in fellowship with other believers, loving one another. In fact, it's it's spiritually incompatible and impossible for um, a, a genuine believer to live in hatred yeah. toward a brother or sister in Christ. 
Um, and so if, you know, you ask about this, someone's faith, would we question it? Well, okay. So I believe as I read scripture that a new believer who is saved and isolated will pretty quickly be sanctified into a local church. Mm-hmm. The person who has been professing faith for a long time, who's read the New Testament over and over and over again, and still maintains their independence from the people of God, that's the person I I would not presume that they're saved. Yeah, I'm not judging whether they are or not that I'm not Christ. Yeah. But from what I read in Scripture, that's where my greatest concern would come in. And I and people who I know who are in that situation, when I'm praying for them personally, I'm praying for their salvation because mm-hmm. I don't have enough evidence to go on based on what I read in the New Testament to say that they've got a, an actual relationship with Christ because sure. they fundamentally understand who Christ is and where he is. Yeah. And I think this is why, you know, in in our staff meetings at times, we, we kind of check in and say, you know, have we seen so-and-so for such a, such a time? Mm-hmm. Because we're concerned right. <laughs> where they're at. Right. You know, well, we're and the concern comes from the responsibility laid on the church's shepherds. Right. You know, in this case, us three plus our elders. Uh, it's our responsibility to protect the sheep, to yeah. guide the sheep, to feed the sheep. And you can't do that if they're not here. Right. And so that's the first question that comes to mind when you haven't noticed that someone's here for a while. Yeah. Where's, what's the spiritual condition of this person yeah. that they haven't been here for so long? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, a common answer, um, not so much here, but a common answer church-wide, universal church-wide is, oh, they're busy. Oh, it, it's summer, mm-hmm. and they, they're doing family stuff also. That's a concern. Yeah. The, the church is integral to the spiritual life of all of God's people. So much so that the Bible raises serious red flags when they're not present. Right. right. Um, and in terms of Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6, the church is the most family stuff that any family can be doing. Mm-hmm. It is exactly. The, there's three institutions that God had gave for, to make the world work. Um, the family, the government and the church. And the government's role is simply to put a hedge of protection so that the other two can do their jobs and flourish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so those, the family and the church, for the Christian family, are to be so interconnected that they're inseparable. Yeah. Um, not indistinguishable, because they have different spheres. And yet, again, whatever family is, is prioritizing church lower is a family that's in great need of yeah. some reorientation because the family's not healthy yeah. even if their relationships seem great with each other and what you guys aren't what you guys aren't saying is that it's wrong to take vacations but what i think you're saying is when you're taking vacations two three times or being you're away from the church two or three times a month that that's a serious serious concern right you're missing 6 to 9 months if that's if that's the case of church yeah, and I would, I would, you know, maybe I'm old school, but I would start a lot sooner than that. Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I think it's a, a bad idea to make a a standard of specific times 
that people need to be in church or not be in church sure. or except right. i mean yeah it's not a legalistic thing it can't be it no. can't be then all, all of a sudden we're defeating the 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 enemy from the opposite side yeah you know and, or losing to the enemy from the opposite side i guess i should say yeah um so yeah you can't start saying now listen unless you're in leadership of course i think in leadership we can say like we do you need to you need to be in church you know at least 44 times out of 52 or you know 40 times out of 52 because if you're not here how are you leading right right you know that's a different conversation it's with, just not about a sacred number it's about a yeah, just a, a, it's spirit, a, a spiritual uh, temperature right right i mean if i'm gone you know 20 to 25% of the time i'm not leading this body right you know right. I, i'm not <laughs> I, I don't care what your excuse or explanation is, mm-hmm. but that's different than the layman sure. who right. who may have employment, you right. know, conflicts right. or sick family or personal illness or whatever. You know, that's a different conversation. Right. But still, I, I can't see that that God God designed the church with all of its importance so that His people will show up half the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that and, makes no sense. Yeah. And by way of an analogy, um, you know, we're not talking numbers, but, you know, you think about the means of grace, the way that God grows his people, they're largely mediated in the church, not exclusively, but again, inseparably. Mm-hmm. And, and largely. And this is how we <laughs> exercise our spiritual lungs and get spiritual breath, right? And, and so the question that I need to be asking is not how little can I breathe? And still be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the, nobody's asking that question mm-hmm. um, unless they've got corona. You know, um, <laughs> the question people want to breathe. They want to breathe freely and they want to breathe deeply. That's an interesting illustration because when I when I had corona, yeah, um, not the beer, the sickness. <laughs> um, when I when oh. I was yeah, is that what you said? Out, you said corona, or did you say podcast. COVID? Yeah. The Rona, the Rona, the Rona. Come yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyways, uh, when I when I got that that flu, uh, the doctor said it's really important that you don't drop below 94 percent oxygen level, mm-hmm. and so I had this little thing I put on the end of my finger, mm-hmm. and it would tell me, and and so let's say to use your illustration that in order to have healthy spiritual oxygen, you need to be around 93, 94 percent i'm okay with that <laughs> <laughs> right in that number mm-hmm. yeah does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah it's a good illustration yeah the rona not not the corona part jeremy get back come sorry. back sorry i tuned you out there What's for a minute in, uh... he's daydreaming about a beach and limes <laughs> What's in that mug is that apple juice that i see Corona. <laughs> uh, so uh god has given us uh, mandates for how the church is to be run, and that's seen with with leadership, right? We have we have elders in this church, uh, and in our church, we believe in in leadership that God has laid out in First Timothy and Titus that that it's men who are leading the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we live in a world of feminism that would decry those statements, but. Why is it important that we stick true to the biblical text, and and um, you know how how do you guys 
how do you guys um, process what the world is saying? I guess in in this idea that says, well, women can women can preach, women can lead the church uh, against how we do things here. If that makes sense. How do we stay true to the biblical text? How do you stay true? in context? Yeah, that's key, right? Yeah. Because that's where the conversation goes. And there are a number of uh, people that that we went to Bible college with who are, you know, maintaining the faith in a myriad of ways. But this seems to be one of the places where even solid reform-minded folk are losing ground. Um, and I call it losing ground because whenever we compromise the way that the Lord has ordained his and called his church to work, we're, we're, we're giving up something serious. Mm. You know, and Paul makes this point on, um, in first Timothy two, which is one of the passages that people go to and, and then say, well, that doesn't mean that. And, or this was specific to Ephesus, or this was a first century Greco-Roman thing, not a universal church thing. And Paul would agree with us now, if he were writing today, that women should be elders or women should be preaching. And he, he, he says, I do not permit, this is from chapter 2 and verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. And we know he's, he's not just talking about general life principles. He's talking about the context is corporate worship. Okay, so we're talking about the worship life of the church, where where those who are publicly leading the church are the ones who are in authority. A woman is not to be in that position. And by the way, I would also add, in light of what he says in chapter 3 and in Titus 1, most men are not supposed to be in that position. Mm -hmm. There's actually a really small cluster of qualified men whom the Lord has given to the church to fill this role Mm -hmm. of authority in the church. So this really undercuts most people, but it will exclusively put women outside the pale, not because they're any less worthwhile and worthy and dignified. And, you know, this isn't a human worth thing. This is a function of God's design thing, and which is what he says. And, and that, and that d- side note, yeah, that exists in marriage. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and only one of them can be a husband. And we see role distinctions in the Trinity. Yes. You know, like we actually get our cues from God. That's weird. Uh, he's, and he goes back to creation to make the point. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Mm. So, you know. That Eve, gosh. Yeah. Well, and when was Adam formed? Was it before or after the fall? Go, Jer. Yeah. You got your bachelor's uh, degree here. Four. Okay. Yes. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> What's your point? He goes before sin enters the world yeah. to make the point that male so it's a God ordained purpose headship in the church. Yeah, it's not a result of sin. <laughs> right, this is always the way it's been, all right. it's designed to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I That's, love it when God does that stuff. That's kind of cool. Mm-mm-mm. So good. So yeah, and, good. and can I so interject good. here? I I don't think we're saying that those who disagree with us, even in reform circles, don't understand the gospel or are unsaved. They okay. have a different view of this. Right, right. right. There are some excellent scholars who disagree with what we have just been saying. Right. Uh, Walter Kaiser being one of them. <laughs> and and I have a friend who I graduated with from seminary who disagrees with our interpretation here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we're standing on solid ground. Mm-hmm. You know, even what you've just briefly shared, Rick, to me is convincing. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we need to remain where we think... God has placed us, yeah. and this is where we at Sun Valley Church um, believe God yeah. has placed us. Yeah, and in you know, 
I've mentioned a couple times the way. Well, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. And, and he's saying that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, and in verse 33. And that is the chapters 11 through 14 in 1 Corinthians is the longest sustained treatment of corporate worship in the church mm-hmm. in the entire New Testament. Mm-hmm. And right there in the middle of that treatment of what is corporate worship supposed to look like, he says, this is the practice in all the churches. This is the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And again, by God's design. So if nothing, you're going to build a New Testament church, yeah. it ought to be from that passage. Probably. You know, and a few other we've already mentioned from First Timothy and, and mm-hmm. Titus. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's talking about corporate worship in First Corinthians, and he's training a young pastor in First Timothy mm-hmm. and Titus, those are good spots. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you get, and then you saturate the whole thing in an Ephesians cocoon, and you've got an incubator <laughs> for a great church. Yeah, the Ephesians cocoon. <laughs> so some some men are qualified to lead the church, right? That's what it seems like. That's what when it we're seems like. Timothy and Titus. Uh, but in Ephesians, Paul Paul says that God has blessed the church with with these men who are the teachers, the preachers who are teaching the people, so that the people are doing the work of the ministry. Yes. Right. So so what does what does that mean? What does it mean when Paul says that the church, like they're doing the work of the ministry? What does that What does that look like? The leaders of the church, God ordained leaders of the church, are training people for ministry building them up so that they'll build up the church, so they'll build up God's bride. Yeah. Um, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. So the the leaders that God has placed in any local church, God has given the responsibility and privilege of discipling those people, mm-hmm. um, building Christ-likeness into those people, exercising the gifts of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in those people for His church. That's the job of the pastors and elders mm-hmm. in a local body. Mm-hmm. Um, the job of the people is to enthusiastically and sacrificially fall in behind the elders and pastors and support the ministry that God has called them to. Yeah. That's what it means yeah. in Ephesians 4. Yeah. It means that on any given day of the week, most of the ministry at Sun Valley Church is happening among the membership, not among the eldership. Yeah. Uh, because that's every single saint has a, a, a sovereignly given spiritual gift that is unique specifically to them for use in their local church and not just in the formal roles of you know security or sunday seminar teaching or whatever the case may be but for encouragement before and after small group ministering applying the one another one another mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in hours of crisis and there's some amazing examples of that happening right now and, those, and those are those are just as legitimate gifts of the spirit as the exercise of preaching yeah and so Sun Valley Church would not be a healthy church unless most of the ministry was happening outside the church office and leadership. And, and this is an important thing, I think, for Sun Valley Church to hear. When you are ministered to by a layman at Sun Valley Church, it, as, it is as biblically and divinely valid as mm. any elder. Yeah. And so when you are visited when you're sick or when you have lost a loved one to death by a layman, that is... A divine privilege given to you by mm-hmm. God through the layman of the church. Mm-hmm. It, it is no more important or no more special to be visited in the hospital by an elder or a pastor. It, it just isn't, mm-hmm. biblically speaking. And yet, 
that we've got this idea in our brain that unless an elder comes and prays over me or a pastor comes and greets me in the lobby on my first visit to a church, then somehow something's falling apart here. This isn't right. It's not working. That is not true. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say proof of the proof of the fact that God is active in our church is when a layman comes to your house and ministers to your soul Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more so than if I or Rick or one of the elders were to do it. Yeah. It is a huge confirmation in my mind of, of God using or God, um, what's the word? Um, bringing about his intentions in a local body. Mm-hmm. He uses the pastors and elders to, to do, to train up the people to do the work of the ministry in the lives of other saints. Mm-hmm. And so when a saint comes to my house when I'm sick, who's not an official <laughs> leadership level type person, it is proof that God's at work in that church. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a massive encouragement. Yeah. It is for me, at least, in yeah. leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rick, you just mentioned that, you know, there's there's things happening right now where the church is, was, is acting. And it's so cool seeing that. Yeah. Because you know we're kind of backed out of the out of the situation. We're just seeing the church go to work in all these different areas. What a blessing! It's awesome. It's, it it's is so awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's the heartbeat so of the cool. mission society. And something I'm really excited to see is that our missionaries are about are they're currently being cared for and are going to be cared for more robustly now than at any other point in this yeah. church's history because the people of God who have a heart for missions have committed to a specific missionary and affiliate to nurture that. They've it's been gonna, equipped. It's just gonna, for the ministry. Uh, that it's kind of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue our conversation of the church next week since it's a pretty big subject in our statement of faith. We're going to talk about uh, the autonomy of the local church. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Oh, get your Google Translate because yeah. we're going to be doing this <laughs> podcast in tongues. <laughs> and then the ordinances, which I'm excited to dive into. Church, we love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week.